Welcome to Move Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Clapson. The aim of this podcast is to explore, learn, and spread the message of rewilding and natural movement so that we as humans can live in more alignment with our nature and reclaim what it means to be fully alive. The modern world has stripped away so much that used to nourish our mind, body, and soul. This podcast will help illuminate how we can reclaim and restore our innate, wild, capable, and strong spirit. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Cool, cool. So as I mentioned... All right, welcome to the podcast, Stu. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, man. It's a a great honor. Yeah, absolutely. So to start with, I'd like to get a little bit about your backstory in relation to hunting and how you kind of got into hunting um, over the, you know, what's that story been like for you? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, hunting was, uh, it, it was, a, it was a funny path into it actually. Um, so, uh, like I, w- I was in the military, I was in special forces for a while. Um, and all the army mates, we used to go down to a friend's farm and we'd all go hunting. And basically it was kind of like, uh, I used to describe it as the golf version of hunting. Like, um, we go down, we get drunk, we'd wander around with, with guns sort of slung over our shoulders and when we saw something, we'd take a shot and then wander around the, the field a bit more. And it was, yeah, it was very akin to what, what I think golf is. Anyway, I don't really play golf. Yeah. It's boring. But, um, yeah, you know, and, and that's, you know, I, it, there's something to do there in there that's, that's kind of a little bit primitive, but not quite. Um, yeah, I guess I was, I was seeking a bit more from it. Um, where, where I really actually defined where I became a hunter, though, was one time as a joke, I bought a bow. Um, and we got down to the farm and I decided just to walk out with the bow. And generally when we walk out, there's a group of us. So it's very noisy. Um, so I just went out by myself and wandered around and, and realized that, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't just do what I was doing before. That wasn't what I was doing before. wasn't hunting. It was, uh, it was just shooting. Um, so all of a sudden I had to start thinking about things like how much noise I made and how I moved over the terrain and how I moved with this other object, how I would sneak up on something, how I could get through different bushes, under trees, all this sort of stuff. Um, what way the wind was blowing, what I smelt like, what I looked like, what the animals were doing. Cause it wasn't just wandering around and discovering an animal. It was actually tracking and um, thinking about what the animal was doing. So all of a sudden this, this like exploded this whole different world to me um, of nature connection that, that I hadn't really, that I kind of like, it was there in the background and I'd never really touched it. Uh, And now I was all of a sudden immersed into it um, and found myself kind of really nerding out on, on hunting and, uh, well, it, it, it all of a sudden didn't become about the hunt anymore, really. Yeah. It became about spending this, this beautiful time in nature and, um, you know, maybe getting lucky enough to see an animal and then maybe getting lucky enough to be in the right position to take a shot, a good shot at an animal. Uh, and then maybe if I was good enough shot, actually hitting and killing the animal and, um, and being able to go and eat that animal as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, and that, that whole sense of nature connection um, is obviously quite important to you getting experiences out in nature. Um, Does that, you, you, we talked earlier 
um, you're, you're doing wilderness psychotherapy work. Does that play into a lot of the work that you do is getting people out into nature and getting people connected to nature? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, uh, I mean, it was an interesting journey for me into psychotherapy. I don't, I, I never really, um, thought I'd be a therapist. And in many ways, I don't think of myself as a therapist. Uh, but I do, um, I mean, getting out of the army, I, I experienced and, and still do experience a lot of like post-traumatic stress disorder type issues. Um, so for me, one of the big things that changed that was just being out in nature and, and connected with nature. Um, and, and not just being out walking through nature, you know, getting the sunlight on you, all that's good, good stuff. But, um, the difference, like where the hunting came into it was that I had to, uh, intimately listen and feel and understand nature in an entirely different way. I had to access it and become it, um, become part of that environment in a different way. And so I found that, that experience incredibly healing for me. Um, and, and so it's a kind of experience, uh, you know, to a man with a hammer in his hand, the world looks like nails. And so that was, that was my access to something greater than myself and something very healing. And so I wanted to give that to other people as well, or or find a way to offer that to other people. Yeah, that's great. Um, why, like if someone would ask you, why do you hunt and what do you see the relevance is of hunting in the modern world? Like if someone was to question that relevance, what would your response be to that? Ah, try it. (laughs) Just try it. Uh, It's, I I mean, I find it a deeply traumatic um, experience, hunting, killing an animal, killing, killing another being and eating it. Um, and I think maybe that trauma is something that we're missing from our lives. Yeah. And so we're not getting ourselves, uh, immersed in that trauma. And as a result, we then don't have the reverence for eating an animal that I, I think we should. Um, so that, that there is one of the key points of why I think it's so relevant in today's society. I think like just mindlessly eating you know, meat, uh, and 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 you know this because I've seen you actually um, post your thoughts on this, like the the eating of muscle meat as well. Yeah. Uh, like if, if I kill an animal, like there's not a single part of that animal that I want to go to waste, um, except maybe like its anus or like <laughs> its its stomach yeah. uh, contents. But um, uh, yeah. You know, all the organ meats, all that sort of stuff is, is like the, the primo, primo uh, stuff that I'm trying to get out of that. And then, yeah, I'll probably make jerky or something out of the, the rest of it. Um, but it, it absolutely forced me 100% to appreciate what I was eating um, to the point where, where for a long time I stopped eating any sort of domesticated meat. So any farmed cow, chicken, um, lamb, pig, uh, any of those sorts of things. Yeah. And I'd only eat wild animals. And, um, for a while I only ate what I, what I could source hunt or, um, run over in my car. Um, (laughs) uh, but I, I mean, I don't do that anymore. Like I kind of loosened off that a little bit, but, um, it's, I think it's incredibly important in this day and age. I, I don't think it's, it's in any way sustainable 
for us as humans, for uh, our nutritional uh, needs and for the planet and for the animals themselves. It's, there's, there's no sustainability in that system that we call the uh, meat industry. Yeah. So I think that's really one of the most important uh, parts of it, of why people should be uh, at, le- at least open to experiencing it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I guess you have a lot of story behind your food because you went out, you got it, whereas a lot of people go into the shops, for example, to buy meat that they have no idea where it came from, what that animal's life was like. That would be yeah. that would have quite a lot of impact, I imagine, on you eating that food and the, the reverence that you have for when you actually consume that animal. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and it's really interesting that you frame it that way too. Like the power of story there is, is a huge, huge thing. Um, and I've had quite a number of friends who were not necessarily meat eaters. Some, some were vegans, uh, you know, for various reasons. And um, I've, I've come home and I'm like, hey, I, I killed this kangaroo. And I, I'd tell them the story of how I hunted this kangaroo and what happened and, you know, all the little parts of it. And, uh, you know, I enjoy being told stories and I enjoy telling stories as well. I think, I think as humans, it's, it's actually within us to do that. And um, quite often the, the uh, response that I thought I would get, which was, you're an asshole, you're a killer, you're a you know, murderer, blah, blah, blah. That never eventuated. And it was quite the opposite. It was like, wow, I, I really appreciate what you did here. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate the reverence and love that you have for animals. I really uh, appreciate the story that you've actually held and brought forward here and, and quite a few of them have even tried the meat afterwards. Yeah, that's cool. Um, like on a practical level, how long do you reckon it took you to get proficient enough where you felt like you could go out and be confident at least in your ability to get something meat wise? I know you, you're not going to get something every time you go out, but what's that journey been like in terms of you mastering the skill of hunting and where do you think you're at now? Uh, yeah, for, for starters, I, I would never say that I've mastered the skill yeah. of hunting. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a long way to go, uh, still a lot of learning to do. And, um, yeah, it, and, and it's, it just seems to me like an, one of those endless journeys, like there's always going to be more, it's always yeah. going to be deeper that you can get. But like the, a big thing for me, especially with bow hunting was, was accuracy and, um, reliability. Yeah in my shot. So I, I went down this whole fantasy of like, you know, becoming a traditional hunter and a um, traditional bow hunter and yeah. this sort of stuff. And very quickly just went, no, I, I want a compound bow. I want something with sights on it and I want something that hits hard yeah. because when I shoot at an animal, I, I want to kill it. I don't want to maim it. I don't want to hurt it. Um, and, you know, knock on wood, I haven't done that yet, but I have been with people who have done it and like I've chased down animals for three, four hours afterwards. Um, and it's shit. Like yeah. it's something that I definitely want to do. I don't want to do. That's, that's probably the most important thing. That's probably the most, um, uh, I guess hardest skill to master is just getting that shot right. Um, because the hardest part about it, and we used to learn this in the army as well, is shooting targets is not shooting a real living thing. Yeah. They're two entirely different skills. Um, so, but getting good on a target is good start, but then 
getting good when your heart is beating out through your mouth and your hands are a bit shaky and, and you're having to go in between two trees and through a bush at something um, is a totally different ball game. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, like if, if I had to put a time thing on it, like it depends on how, how often you get to practice your skills. But, but for me, it was like, uh, you know, 18 months, two years before yeah. I was like okay. kind of confident to step out there and actually go for it. Yeah. And was that from you practicing like every day with your bow? Like how often do you practice now and compared to then? Um, yeah, it was kind of fits and starts. So at points I just didn't live in a place where I could practice with a bow. Yeah. It was, or it was, it was very difficult to practice with a bow. Um, and then I lived at, on places like properties and things like that where I could practice a lot more. So um, every day, every morning I get up and I, you know, do 10, 20, 50 shots at the target. Um, uh, yeah, one of the beautiful things, I got chucked into self-isolation um, <laughs> recently and I was just like, this is sweet. Like, <laughs> I can work on my garden. I can, you know, renovate the place. I can build this roof and I can just sit here and, and every time I got bored, I'd just go, bang, go out and do 10 shots at the target yeah, and then go on to something else. And, you know, four or five times a day I was doing that for the last three weeks now it's been yeah. it's been brilliant that's great that's so cool all right I'd like to shift now a bit to more of the stuff that you or more of your interest with mythology and myth because that seems to have been a big interest of yours at least over the last couple of years from what I've witnessed so how did you start to become interested in mythology and how do you see it playing a part in your life and just generally human life today yeah, uh, yeah, myth. It's really, uh, I don't know. It's it seems like it's getting like a sexier thing too at the moment. Yeah. Um, so so when I was I was young, uh, I probably would have been about fourteen, I reckon, fourteen, fifteen, somewhere around there. Um, I mean, I, I grew up and there was zero talk of religion in my house at all. It was just it was just not something that um, that happened that was talked about even. Uh, you know, we, we kind of celebrated the usual Christmas and Easter and christian sort of things but like i had uh i had no concept of what christian even meant uh i'd never been to church uh and so yeah i hit that age and all of a sudden it became really really intensely interested for some reason that i can't quite understand i think maybe it's just a uh, a cycle of seeking you know wanting to know something else about about the universe existential sort of well, yeah thoughts that were coming in uh, so I just picked up books and I went to Bible study classes and I, um, back then the internet was just becoming a thing. So I like, um, Alta Vista cause we didn't have Google back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, just collected as much information as I could on heaps of different religions. So I studied like the Abrahamic religions. I studied, uh, that, that being Christianity, um, Judaism and, uh, Islam. Uh, I studied Buddhism. I looked into Hinduism as well uh, a little bit. And then I started to like veer off from the mainstream kind of religions and go more into the myth side. So I looked at Greek, Greek mythology. And then, um, then I came across uh, Norse mythology. Oh, yeah. and, that was, uh, and that rocked my world. 
Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It was it was weird. It was like I was I was reading something and not reading it for the first time. And like as it is, my genetic heritage is is Scandinavian, so there, there's a link there. But I think also I was a massive nerd at um, at high school or you know all through school, and so like Lord of the Rings, hands down my favorite book yeah. of all time. And and Tolkien borrowed very heavily from Norse mythology. So when I was reading these things, I wasn't I wasn't reading it for the first time. I was familiar with the way the the characters moved and felt and di- and acted and all the stories and things like that. Um, and they were very alive for me. Yeah. So yeah, I, I kind of got into it, and then I, I uh, just started to question, like, what is, what are these stories, and why have they pervaded into into our psyche? Why why have they continued for so long, for thousands and thousands of years? And uh, what what is it? What what is it about these? What, what's in it for us in these sorts of things? Um, Mainly because I just didn't want to, I think I didn't want to feel like I was just reading kids' tales. And that's kind of what a lot of people think. It's like mythology is just a kid's tale. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, it, but yeah, they're, they're really not. They're, they're kind of, uh, they're cues. They're like uh, hints that echo down through the time. They're a collection of stories mm. that, that map the human psyche and then, these stories get bigger and bigger collected together until they form this more complete picture. And then they're, they're packaged in this way that are not, it's not spelt out like anything like, Oh, sorry. Like everything is in our, in our society nowadays. Like, you know, if we, if we, if we get told a story nowadays at the end of it, we probably got a a little bit at the end where they explained everything. Yeah. For you and spoon fit all the answers, but mythology is not like that. It's like, it, it works on a deep, different level where it sort of goes in and you sit with it and it could be, for me, my experience has been it's been weeks or it's been years and all of a sudden it's just like, oh, I get, I understand Odysseus on a, on a different level all of a sudden because yeah. I just had that experience or I understand who Loki is and why, why he exists. And, and see the beauty in, in that instead of just seeing the bad guy, the, the enemy, seeing this beautiful part of the, the trickster or, you know, or, or seeing myself in that, yeah. in these stories as well. And that, that for me is, is like what I do. Now I see, that's how I use mythology, I guess, yeah. is that I, I have struggles in my life and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, tussling with this thing i'm like ah oh, this relationship that went sour or like ah oh, this this choice between these two different types of work mm. or like oh i hurt these people and how do i deal with that it's all there it's all written down for us yeah. it's all laid out and i just just got to like go and find that story again and dig it up and read it again and, and see it and, and let it do its work on me again in a different way now um yeah. And that's that's really what I see in the in the modern world. It's it's um the it, it's kind of I was actually musing about this today with someone that um, with my mentor that there's this dual uh, in our society at the moment this dual uh, fear within me of getting old because I see what happens with old people and they're thrown on the scrappy yeah and then there's this also like me wanting to get old. I really want to get old because I, I feel like 
if it can be done right, you can sink into this beautiful wisdom. Yeah, body's falling apart. I'm almost 40. I'm starting to feel the aches and pains, you know. But when the body recedes, something else has to take that place. And it's this wisdom that can come in. Um, if only I can, you know, stop watching the stay beautiful and young forever commercials long enough to, to let go of that um, cult of youth. Yeah. So, and, and that's what mythology is. It's like this, this old thing that, that I felt has been thrown on the scrap heap and we're just like, I don't want that. But there's this, there's this beautiful wisdom in these things that we can pull out if we, if we want to. And I, and I feel like right now is like there's never been a better time or a, or a bigger need for it. Yeah. yeah. In our world right now, I feel like we are faced with, with existential crisis that, that few generations before us have, have ever held, held. Um, you know, maybe the plague, the black plague was yeah. another one. Um, uh, you know, perhaps even world war one could have, could have been another one. Um, but yeah, there'd be, there wouldn't be too many generations that have had been looking down the barrel of possible utter annihilation, uh, yeah. like we have. It's pretty crazy. What, what are some of the lessons that you've drawn from mythology that you find are helpful in this time? Um, I, I think the big, the big switch for me where I figured out that mythology wasn't just a story was listening to Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, if, uh, anyone who's listening to this hasn't heard of Joseph Campbell, then I, I highly, highly recommend going out and seeking his work. Um, and Jung, Carl Jung as well, uh, was a big influence for me. And, and what those two in particular taught me. So Joseph Campbell came out with the idea of the, the hero's journey. Yeah. And whenever I am really struggling or stuck with anything in life, if I can just actually bring myself back and go like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm actually in a cycle here. I'm on a journey. I'm in the underworld. It all feels like shit, yeah. but there's a purpose to this. Um, it might not make everything better, but it, it takes the edge off yeah. at least at that point. And I can always, always 100% of the time I can look back on any, you know, horrific thing that's happened in, in my life and go like, ah, oh, that's, that's what was happening at this point that I was in this part of the hero's journey. Yeah. Um, I was fighting the great dragon or yeah. I was making the magical flight or I was going through trials and you know, tribulations or, Oh yeah, that person there, that was my um, magical helper. That was my Gandalf. And I didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, that's been a huge, huge thing for me uh, is understanding that. And then Carl Jung where he just looked at everything uh, with this gentle curiosity. Yeah. So being able to look at your life and go like, huh, what is this? Instead of, instead of like, what was me? Ah. Um, so like we, we were supposed to do this call on uh, Monday, right? Yeah. Or we were supposed to do this call a couple of days ago and I'm out in my property and this huge eucalypt drops this massive branch and it spears straight into the bonnet of my car, yeah. crushing the bonnet. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, woe is me, woe is me. Yeah. Why did I park my car there? Why didn't I park it a meter to the left? Why yeah. didn't I park it around the corner where I usually do? Um, why did that tree fall then? 
Like, why was I here at that point in time? Um, all these sorts of things. But like, in, instead of doing that, it's like, oh, what's actually going on here? Like, yeah, what, you know, what, what are the other, other parts that I'm not paying attention to? Um, what is, what is maybe the, the world or even just this tree trying to tell me? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm using my car too much or maybe I'm yeah. too wrapped up in my car or, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what it is, but at the end of the day, like it hit my car and it didn't hit me and it didn't hit my dog. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool. That was interesting. Um, yeah. Just a different perspective on things. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just holding things in that, in that gentle curiosity and going like, okay, this, that's an interesting thing that happened. And my reaction to it, huh? Look at how I reacted. That was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if I could do that better next time. <laughs> yeah, next time something spears your bonnet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, and is that how you use myth with the psychotherapy work? It just kind of drawing people back to the awareness of where they are in that cycle? Yeah, I think like... Um, for me, I have a tendency for someone like who, I guess, like, I, not, not, not that I'm like some, you know, um, guru on a rock who nothing affects me. Like I get super angry and I get upset about things and I cry and um, sometimes I chuck tantrums and stuff when things don't go my way. But generally speaking, there is this uh, ability that, that I see in myself, which is kind of like, Oh, um, is this that serious? Mm. Like, is this really that serious that's going on right now? And part of that is that, that mythology framing, I think like, Oh, hang on. Where am I right now in this cycle? Like, um, will I escape this? Will I come out of it? Yeah, most probably. I come, I usually get out of most scrapes or things like that. Um, and then the other, the other part of it is like, as somebody who's, I guess, like been to war and seen war, that kind of changes the perspective on everything else that's going on. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's, it's been like well over a decade, it's probably been 15 years since I've been in that kind of um, direct zone, but I've yeah. been in other, other war zones and other areas um, since then. And every time I get back from these sorts of things, it, I, I do sort of like look at people going off and complaining about this or that, or, you know, whatever's <laughs> going on or ScoMo did this or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, huh, well, you know, is anyone going to die? Yeah. <laughs> is anyone shooting at you right now? Because if not, then maybe we can just take it down a notch. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I imagine um, it would give you an immense sense of gratitude and perspective on life here compared to some of those places. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain it to people how, uh, how beautiful we have it like how easy we have it i guess um switch a light on me oh. yeah um yeah how how wonderful in many ways that we have it but also i mean everything has a cost yeah everything's got a cost and so it's like when we our life is very easy here in australia yeah um you know we don't have to strive for anything yeah uh, you, you, you'll pretty much, you'll always be fed. Like, this is a great example of the whole um, coronavirus thing that's going on. And, you know, people are out of work and money is still flowing. 
yeah shops are still open food like uh supermarkets are still filled with food yeah um you still on your, you still turn your tap and water comes out yeah so you know it, yeah it's it's really not that bad but there is a, there is a problem with resilience i think yeah. is what we are are experiencing a bit of a deficit of when you give somebody everything the one thing that they're going to lack is knowing how to deal with little or you know or having that resilience yeah 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 so do you think that resilience falls away when we are given all these kind of comforts of the modern world yeah i think i think we just we just have to work for it now um is, is, is the odd thing we have to work for our own resilience we have to work to you know expose ourselves to cold um like you know you, you offer this amazing natural movement training where like could because nobody nobody has to do that anymore yeah. um and so that's why it's so important that that we've got people like you who who can actually train people in how to move like a human because we don't have to move like a human anymore because yeah. people aren't out there hunting their own food um yeah. uh you know i don't have running water or electricity or or anything like that so you know the old adage of um chop wood carry water like that's that's a big chunk of my life because if i want to if i want to be warm i have to go chop wood and if i want water i have to go walk down the hill to the creek collect the water and carry it back up um and even that in of itself as, as you all well know like is uh you know a, a not just it's not just the physical side of it it's not just me carrying you know two twenty liter jugs of water back up a hill um with that water sloshing around and moving i'm like this is so good for my abs i'm gonna have a rip six pack after this <laughs> there's something else that actually happens there and it's um you know it's it's resilience and it's reliance yeah yeah and you're doing it for a purpose like a lot of people i mean this is my struggle is we live a disintegrated life where you know we we have food given to us so we have to move to kind of work to develop that resilience but you getting water is like that actually has a purpose like you're not just carrying kettlebells you're actually carrying water because you need that <laughs> <Yep>. water <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah yeah exactly um not not that i want to like uh, say to people that like carrying kettlebells or something is bad um because any sort of movement is good any sort of exercise and, and whatever you can access and, and feels good for you is, is good yeah uh yeah it's just that yeah it is a strange thing and disintegrated is a is a, is a perfect term for it. I've never heard that before, but like we, it's, it's a, a lack of integration yeah. of, um, or a compartmentalization of how our lives work now. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you want to move and be enlightened and um, balanced, then you can only do that on the confines of the yoga mat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Then you go yeah. sit in the car for an hour and a half and go to work or something. So yeah. <laughs> how do we, um, what are some other ways that we can start to maybe develop some of that resilience just in our daily lives? I mean, you mentioned cold, you mentioned movement. Is there any other things that we could perhaps do to kind of develop a little bit more resilience, a little bit more grit? Um, yeah, I think, I think just like a little bit more exposure and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be like Rambo or anything like that. It's just, um, having your body in contact with the natural elements. Um, quite often there's a bit of a disnification 
of that. Like people are like, yeah, I want to be nature immersed. And, and the image that people get is like sunlight and you're catching fish out of a beautiful mountain stream or something. I don't know. But um, quite often it's shitty and it's cold. And as soon as it's, it's raining and it's windy and, and gray, people like tuck up indoors and put coats on and stuff like that. Maybe just even for two minutes, go walk outside with no shoes on and a t-shirt when it's drizzly and shit and you know i don't know put the bins out like that yeah you know like go move something around that you had to move in those conditions without rugging yourself up and and um kind of being like a old school submariner or or an astronaut on your own (laughs) planet um yeah yeah yeah, uh, and and like, there's an infinite amount of ways we can do this, but like cold um, exposure, I think is like, I mean, just personally, I love it. Uh, I think it's one of the best things we can do for ourselves. Um, getting your getting your feet out on the ground is just amazing. So getting barefoot when you can. Yeah. Um, getting up and down off the ground, um, and you know. It seems like such a simple thing, but like, I don't know. I just have this experience of, of so many people being, having almost this phobia of touching the ground yeah, yeah, or laying on it or doing anything with the ground <laughs> by walking on it. Um, yeah. And then, and like, you know, I love, I love gardening too. So getting, getting hands in the soil, like, Sweet. yeah. yeah. Um, getting dirty, getting wind blown for a bit. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. Um, so I wanted to touch on some of the work that you do around masculinity. Um, and I, first to start off with, what would your definition be of, of masculinity? Ah, oh, well, this is such an evolving thing for me, man. I don't like, yeah. Yeah. It's, your, it's like your current definition or I guess it's evolving. So maybe, yeah. Well, I get, I guess, um, uh, masculinity for me is is an inherent um reliability on who you are as a as a human and i I know that's not specifically masculine Mm. um you know there are certain there are certain traits and certain things that seem to like tend to lend themselves towards masculinity uh but they're not you know specifically masculine qualities per se um so a lot of this stuff is, is more about being human than masculine. It's just that I, the, the human experience that I'm having in this lifetime happens to be the one from a male perspective. Yeah. I'm a man. And so like I quite often talk about that as a masculine sort of experience, but um, yeah, I think uh, if, if nothing else uh, it's just having the uh, I mean, I call it backbone, I guess. Yeah. Finding, finding a backbone. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what, what you do. Um, you know, for me, for me it, is, it, it is kind of a little bit like that archetypal wilderness type man. I, I, don't, like, I don't like that a lot, but I do live in the wilderness and I do like chop down trees and cut wood and, yeah. um, and I lift heavy logs and drag them around and, um, you know, uh, I do big physical activities and yeah, like punching things every now and then and yeah. all that, all that sort of stuff. 
Awesome. Um, but, but, you know, for, for someone else, it might not be that, I, you know, and um, instead of like narrowing down the bandwidth of what it is to be a man in the modern world, mm. um, I'm kind of more about opening it up yeah. for people to, to inhabit that in their own form. But there does need to be some clear anchor points, I think. And one of them is just like owning your shit. Yeah. Like having that backbone, owning your own shit owning who you are as a human being. Um, yeah, I think that's a huge thing that, uh, that I haven't always done in my life. I mean, uh, like the, the inquiry to take this back, the inquiry into this for me was just purely like I uh, experienced a few years ago coming out of the military, the, the disillusion of the ego of having that very clear mission, goal, person, who you are. I'm a protector. I am a special forces soldier. I do this. I go to war and I blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden I'm ejected out the other side and I'm like, what do I do now? And who am I? Because yeah. I was still trying to carry that, that, that egoic sort of um, frame around with me. And, and it just wasn't working in a lot of situations in the civilian world. Yeah. So I, I quickly had to learn like, oh, okay, well, what, what is it to be a man in the modern world? Um, and I felt like there were so many forces telling me that, uh, to just drop it, let it go. Don't, don't bother about being a man anymore. Um, or do this and do that and do that. And it's like, all these things are opposite and it was sending me crazy. And I was like, I need to know actually, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty simple dog. Like <laughs> I need to know who the master is. I need to know where I sit in the, in the, um, hierarchy or whatever it is. Um, I need to know where my yard ends. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just, it, it, that's, that's where the increase, I guess, started for me was like, what, what is it for me to be a man in the modern world? Yeah. Um, or am I just some crazy weird dinosaur like throwback that's not really needed in the world anymore? Yeah. Um, and, and that's a, that's a tussle that I, I go through of this like existential crisis of like, uh, you know, being bombarded with a lot of stuff in the media too about like, you know, I, okay, I'm a, I'm a, you know, fairly fit white male. Um, you know, in reality, there's, I, I have the most, if you, if you look at it from this perspective, I have the most um, advantage in this world. Yeah. Uh, but because of that, because of like what's happening uh, against that advantage there's actually this huge disadvantage against it. And yeah. I've felt the need and I've seen it in a, in a, a few other people of, of wanting to just throw it all away and go like, no, I'm not, oh, I, I disavow my, my masculinity and my, my manliness. And no, I'm not that I, I am just a human existing. Um, yeah. And, and that it doesn't really sit with me. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of, I need, I need, I needed something else. I need, I need to actually like, I feel like a man and I need to be a man. So I can't throw it away. Yeah. And is that for you, like in your head, a code of conduct, how you personally should act in your mind in the world? Yes. And no, um, in that, uh, it is. And, um, so what, what I go through like a cycle of, of like creating a structure and a rigidity and rules 
And then as soon as I do that, then I'm fallible and can be broken. Yeah. And, and that happens. And then it kind of crumbles away and I have to rebuild it again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there are certain things as like, you know, um, you know, I, I should be like truthful and honest and I do that. And then I lie to people and I hurt people. Hmm. So then I'm like, Oh, got to deal with that. And, um, not just sit there and, and, you know, flagellate myself for the next yeah. three months, which, which, you know, I still do, but, um, yeah, there's certain things. And, and I quite often I look, I look to a lot of other cultures and things like that. And I look to things like Rashido codes, uh, samurai sort of things and yeah. Viking sort of codes and, um, you know, all these sorts of other, other structures, uh, look to a lot of indigenous cultures. So, you know, how, men were uh thought of and structured and even created in indigenous cultures so in uh, a lot of the um you know our indigenous tribes and uh american native americans as well how they sort of did it um south american tribes as well uh looking at rites of passage and things like that has been something that's that's really fascinated me um and thinking about like how can we how can we maybe start to reclaim that, but in a modern way, yeah. without without yeah just going like oh well I'll go do a vision quest. I mean a vision quest is amazing, and I've done several vision quests, and I would highly recommend it if if people feel the need to to inquire into that more and and push towards it. Um, how can we make that applicable to the modern world as well? Yeah, I love it, and I love that point you touched on on the creation of a man rather than like, I, I strongly believe that, that a man, we see that through our culture as a universal theme that a man is created through these rites of passages and through initiation. It's not just a passive process. Yep. Yeah. But have you, yeah. have you noticed any universal kind of themes that run across those different cultures that you've researched um, of like values or virtues that they see as masculine? Um, there are definitely similarities, um, uh, and there's certainly similarities in ideas that, uh, that they come out with, like, uh, there's, you know, courage, I guess is one. And that, that is to say it's, um, quite often, uh, I think we think courage and we think of somebody being fearless. But courage, in, in what I've studied and seen, at least in a lot of the cultures, is actually like the ability to do something that you know is right in the face of fear or in the face of opposition. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's definitely not the lack of fear. Um, and me having been in places where, or situations where, you know, um, it's, it's, you know, inherently dangerous. Um, I, I can certainly attest to that, that like I never, I never felt fearless in anything that I did. I, in fact, I felt utterly terrified and shit scared like a, like a tiny, tiny little child um, in, in a lot of those situations. Uh, but yeah, there was a code that I could then hang on to and go like, no, wait, there's a job here that I'm, I'm supposed to do. I need to do this and I need to do that and would step up and there was like a, a force that was, wasn't me. It was greater than me. That was pushing me so it was an acknowledge of that that 
that I was upholding something that wasn't me. Um, and for me, it was like the, the Australian army or the special forces community or, or whatever it was, or soldiers in general or war fighters in general over the, over the years. I was, yeah. I was holding that. Um, but, you know, a, a boy who has um, gone through the rite of passage initiated into manhood in a, in a tribe is inheriting an entire set of mm. code yeah. that, that then they need to caretake. Um, and, you know, so that, that, that courage idea is quite often just that. It's the force of that, that code or that idea of um, those ancestors. They, you know, will quite often be the terms that they use um, upholding the, the ancestors' um, honour. Yeah, honour. is another way that they often quite put, that they put it. Yeah, interesting. Do you think it's necessary uh, in keeping accountable to those values to have a community or a group of other men around us um, in order to kind of hold, hold ourselves accountable to a certain honour code or a code of conduct? Uh, I, I actually want to say I don't think it is necessary to have to have that, but I, that might just be like my introverted nature going like, no, 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 I can do things by myself and like I'm, I'm okay to stay hidden and, you know, not have to like interact with other people and show them my uh, inner demons uh, or failings. Um, but I've certainly had both and, and I've got to, I've got to, group of really strong men around me um, that I access at different times for different needs, depending on who they are mm. uh, in that sense that hold me accountable. So I've, I, I fuck something up and I'll call this person about it and they'll say like, yeah, you're a dickhead. Like you should have done this, but you know, um, none of them, none of them will go like, you know, you're out of the group, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're out of the imaginary group. Um, they'll all say, Yes, you fucked up. You did something wrong, um, and you know, in their own way, they'll say you're still loved and you're still part of the community, and you're expected to do better next time. Um, yeah. yeah, those are not the words that are said, but that's the yeah the that's feeling the that's put across. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah, yeah, I think it is important to have um, to have other men around, it, it, even if it's just to like. Um, one of my theories is that uh, part of the masculine trait set is learning through osmosis or, or even maybe just monkey see, monkey do. When we're around other men, there's a change. And uh, especially if there's a, a strong example, an elder, uh, a mentor, something like that. Um, and they don't need to sit down and write something on a chalkboard or a whiteboard or like, you know, make a YouTube video or, you know, do 10 dot points on the 10 ways to be a man. They just, they just be. And to a certain extent, when that happens, I find myself like monkey seeing monkey doing like, Oh, that's the traits I want to be when he does that. I'll, I'll emulate that. Yeah. And I'll become that. Um, and I think that's probably the most important part of it. Um, accountability is, is huge. It's it's very important. But for me, it's, um, yeah, that sort of osmosis type transmission that's going on. Yeah, I love that. That's great. 
Cool, man. Um, so as we start to close up, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on or mention or leave us with? Um, uh, no, well, just a thought really yeah. that I've been having recently. Um, what is it, what is it today? Going back to the mythology sort of stuff. Um, and I think all the things that we've actually talked on have this weird tied in sort of sense to them, yeah. but like the, the, the mythology and the masculinity are hand in hand. If we can't see what it is to be a man in today's world, like mythology is actually telling us what it is. Um, the stories are there and we are creating the stories as well. We're creating those stories. And I, and that's something I think about a lot today is like, what story are we creating? here in the modern day, yeah. how will future generations look back and read this story um, of what we were doing? Who will we be in that story? Um, because like, this is something that plays a lot on, on my mind is, is, is the transition from me being the hero of everyone's story in my life to the protagonist of my story and maybe a bit character maybe a bit character, maybe a walk-on character in other people's stories. Yeah. Um, and, and the humbling that comes with that and just trying to understand how I fit into the story and how we as a society and as a, as a global now community fit into the story. Um, yeah, what is, what is that story even? It's so hard to see the story when it's happening, I guess, but what, what is actually happening here? Don't just, don't just look at the news and go like, yeah, X amount of people died from coronavirus or, you know, there's destruction and, and we're still selling off our lumber and coal and, um, you know, destroying our waterways and stuff like that. What, what is that all about? What are we actually do doing? And if we can, how can we frame that as a story? Because if you can frame it as a story, for me, it's, it's just like infinitely more powerful and more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a great perspective. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so how can people connect with you and find out more about what you're doing? Uh, you can jump on my website, uh, which is, uh, wildernesspsychotherapy.com. Um, yeah, catch me on there. You can get onto my email from that as well. Um, apart from that, like I've been closing down the ways people can actually contact me. Um, yeah. I think, I think I've only got Instagram now and I, I've, I'm on it pretty rarely, but, but it's open if people want to check that out. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Sweet as. All right. Thanks to you for coming on and sharing. No worries. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a great honor to have somebody um, actually buzz you and say like, and someone who's, who's a good friend to say like, Hey man, I want to talk to you about stuff. Cause <laughs> I often think that I'm, I'm like, eh, I'm just a normal guy. Just what have I got yeah. to say? But yeah, yeah you thank you for honoring me. Absolutely. You've got a lot of interesting stuff to share. <laughs> cool, cool. So as we spoke about in the show, all the links to connect with Stu are going to be in the show notes. So head over there and check out some of his stuff. If you're wanting to connect with me, you can also do that by heading over to the show notes and yeah, heading over there, connecting with me on Instagram, my website, and also getting tickets to Move Wild Retreat, which is happening next year. So head down to the show notes if you're interested 
in that. Other than that, I just wanted to thank you guys for listening in. Thank you guys for your support. If you haven't already, please subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps with getting this podcast out to more people. If you really enjoyed this episode, then take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram and let me know your thoughts and key takeaways. And yeah, share this episode, get it out to people who you think might find it useful. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Really appreciate it. And I will catch you on the next episode of Move Wild Podcast.